0: Hello and welcome to Talking About It, a podcast from New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm your host, Cindy Graziano. COVID transformed every aspect of people's lives in ways that could never have been expected. As a result, the New Canaan Abuse Prevention Partnership dedicated the first six months of its Talking About It podcast in 2021 to providing practical tips to help people manage the stresses of living in this difficult time. Now, as more people have been vaccinated and COVID has come under more control, the Partnerships podcasts are returning to their core mission of discussing behavioral health issues in order to reduce the stigma around these issues and prevent abuse and promote healthy relationships. Today, we are so very excited and honored to speak with Emily Torciana. Emily is an award-winning speaker. She founded Lost, God Found, a nonprofit organization that shares stories of those affected by mental illness and assists them in taking those first steps toward gaining support by letting others know about the silent struggles they face. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Great. I think a a good place to start, Emily, might be just at the beginning. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about those early years of high school and how it really shaped you and perhaps even motivated you to begin to think about the stigma around mental health.
1: Sure. So growing up when I was a young child, mental health wasn't something that was talked about in my family. Um, No one in my family struggled with mental illness. And in my schools, it wasn't really talked about either. So when I was growing up, I was very grateful to have a good family life, a good support system. And I didn't really think mental illness or mental health was anything related to me personally. Um, When it came time to get to high school though, I started to struggle with my mental health and I didn't realize it at first because I didn't have that background knowledge of mental illness and being educated on it. I went in that first day of school being completely insecure, very shy and not myself, um, which I think is pretty normal for high school for everyone. But over time, I realized more and more that I wasn't feeling like myself. I wasn't feeling like I was confident. I, I didn't know who my friends were. And within the first few months of school, I did develop a friend group um, at my high school. And so we started to hang out. They invited me to different parties on the weekend, and I would go. Um, And it became to be New Year's Eve of my freshman year. I went on to Facebook. And what I saw was there was this Facebook account that was created. It was completely anonymous, so I didn't know who started it but it was made to completely make fun of me and share things about me, share rumors about me, um, terrible comments like you're ugly, you're fat, you should go kill yourself. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know who to tell because I didn't want my parents to see it and freak out. So I just kept it all inside. Um, so the cyberbullying that was happening, I wasn't aware that I was a victim just because I hadn't learned enough about cyberbullying and mental illness. But over the months of this Facebook group gaining traction and gaining support and strangers starting to comment terrible things about me and me not knowing who was doing it. It completely like depleted my self-esteem. I didn't know who my real friends were at school. Um, and then I found out that the group of girls that i had become friends with was the group that had started the account. Um, so that was a really big hit to myself as well, because these people I thought were my friends were the ones that created this and never really wanted to be my friend. It was all a joke to them. But this profile that started out so small gained so much traction and completely ruined my reputation and completely ruined the way I viewed myself. Um, And so during this time, I did share with one person that I was struggling with this, and it was my best friend, Julia, who was a year younger than me. So I was a freshman in high school and she was in eighth grade at the time.
0: And I shared that
1: there was this account. I didn't know if I should tell my parents because there were rumors about me saying I was sleeping around with all these guys. And at this point I had kissed maybe one boy in my life. So all these things were being said and I was so confused. So I told Julia and she was like, you really need to tell someone what's going on. This is not okay. And you need to share this with your parents or the school. A week after I shared that with Julia, I got a phone call from her mom saying she was being airlifted to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, They had found a malignant tumor on the back of her brain. So it felt like this one person that I had kind of taken off this mask of acting like everything was okay um, was now fighting for her life against cancer. Meanwhile, I was contemplating ending my life. So it was a really difficult time for me because not only did I feel like I had to suppress everything I was feeling, but even more so now with Julia struggling with cancer because I didn't want my parents to think there was something wrong with me, that they should focus their time on me. I just felt like a burden because what she was dealing with seemed like such a bigger thing. Um, So unfortunately, a year later, she lost her life to cancer. And that was the day that I attempted suicide. Um, And it was like the darkest time in my life because I hadn't reached out for help. And it had just gotten to be too much where I just felt so alone.
0: Has social media exacerbated that feeling of loneliness, you know, social media is to help us connect and yet it can do just the opposite. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I would say it's a twofold. Like I think social media can be great in so many ways to connect you with people on different parts of the country. If you have family, um, a lot of my family members connect with me in that way. So I see the good in social media for sure, but I also do, and I have experienced the negative, which is that completely isolating feeling um, Feeling like everyone hates you. And and it's not the case. It wasn't everyone in my school that hated me. But social media makes you feel that way because when you see that these classmates that you're sitting next to and you think you have a good relationship with are just liking a post that says something awful about you, you just start to question if everyone feels that way. And so I felt like during that time in high school, I was walking around almost, there's this psychology term called the spotlight effect. And I definitely felt that where I felt like I was walking in the halls thinking, oh, everyone hates me. Everyone wishes I were dead. Everyone thinks I'm ugly and have no friends. And after I graduated high school and I learned more about my classmates, a lot of them didn't even know what was going on, but it just felt that way from the isolation that it provided me during that time.
0: So you mentioned this was a very, very dark time for you. Talk to us a little bit about how you started to find your way out of that dark time.
1: After I attempted suicide, my older brother, he and I went to my parents and shared what was going on at school, Um, and my parents went in with me to the school to share what had happened, and what I realized was actually reaching out is the best thing you could do. At the age of 15, when this was happening, my biggest fear was I would be seen as like a tattletale or that I told on these people, and I thought it would get so much worse for me. But... Although that was really tough for me to do and to share what was happening, it was the best decision I could have made because from that moment on, I then started treatment and recovery. So I was placed into an intensive outpatient program. And what that is, is I would go from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. And it was as if I was going to a school day. So I would go to art therapy and individual therapy, group therapy. And I was surrounded by all these kids my age who had suffered with different mental illnesses, No one had the specific story that I had, and I didn't have the specific stories they had, but we all shared this common theme of feeling alone, feeling like we didn't have support, and that almost brought us all together. So I actually felt like for the first time I could be related to by these kids my age, and that was the first time I didn't feel alone since I had started high school.
0: Is it obvious why kids don't reach out? Is it the stigma of, I don't want people to think it's bad. I don't want to burden my family. Are there other things going on as to why young people don't reach out?
1: So in my situation, I was like, okay, I'm being cyberbullied, but someone over there, their parents just got divorced. And I can't imagine how difficult that would be. So I mm-hmm. think it's that you think that you should be able to handle it all on your own and think that you're weak for reaching out for help. But I do truly believe that the most strength you can show is to admit that you need help and to seek out that help.
0: Were you given a disorder or mental illness diagnosed in a certain way at that time?
1: I was having um, PTSD flashbacks, terrible nightmares. And at school, it was interesting because if I saw that two students were whispering in the corner of the hallway, going back to that spotlight effect, I automatically thought, oh, they must be talking about me and getting this severe anxiety when they probably weren't even talking about me. But the PTSD symptoms made me feel that way. Um, So it actually made me feel less alone, knowing there was a reason of why I had been feeling this way. And it was called PTSD. Um, And at the same time, I was shocked that cyberbullying could cause this disorder. So disorders can be either biological or environmental. And so mine was diagnosed because of my environment through the cyberbullying.
0: So as you've gone through this journey, now we're through high school and it sounds like you got the support, you got to be better educated on what was going on and understanding it a little bit and you go off to college. So tell us about your overall experiences at college and how it reinforced your confidence.
1: Um, So I really didn't share with anyone outside of my therapist in college, Uh, my freshman year, any of my history with the suicide attempt or the outpatient therapy or my friend dying, because I didn't want to be labeled again with the stigma as, oh, that girl is like crazy or she's psycho. And that was the way I felt. So I just wanted to keep it all inside and act like I was this confident, outgoing girl. Um, So my sophomore year, my counselor asked if I wanted to share about my story on the campus. At that point, I was student body secretary. So her thought process was if we have someone that's involved on campus sharing about their mental health then maybe others will feel comfortable um, sharing about their own. So I decided to do it. And an email was actually sent to the whole school and all my faculty that I'd be giving this talk. And I felt this mask of hiding that I was okay just completely coming off. And I was really scared. Again, going back to that stigma of mental health, I was like, what if all these friends I have are now going to think I'm crazy? But that day, the room was filled with people. And I really didn't take that as a compliment to me, but a compliment to the fact that people want to talk about mental health and people relate to the topic, but everyone's kind of scared to talk about it. So after i had finished sharing that day, there were a bunch of people that were waiting to talk to me after and share about their own stories. And it was the first time since the outpatient program that I realized I wasn't alone and I don't have to be in a treatment program to notice that I can be with my classmates or girls in my sorority sharing their stories. A guy on, my bas- on the basketball team at school shared his story. And it was these normal looking people that I realized like mental health isn't people that are just crazy. It's people that are in your everyday life and they're just struggling with these really real things. So from that day on, I started to share about my own story at different schools locally. And I'm just very grateful that over time, it started to spread around the country where I could start speaking at schools, because my goal is with every time I share my story, I want that child or that teenager or that student that felt the way that I had felt to know that there's not, they're not alone and that they can get the help that they need.
0: Right. Well, and it just goes to show what you've underscored as well, is that this is a journey. It isn't a chapter and then you're done with the book every experience is going to bring you through some experiences that reflect you back to where you were or that vulnerability. So it's a good lesson for all of us to remember that mental illness really is a journey for all all of us. So you come out of college, you're feeling confident, you're speaking out on this, you, did you go to work immediately after college, or were you doing some other work before you went into the workforce?
1: So my senior year of college, at this point, I had been speaking at different universities and high schools. And what I found was that every time I shared my story, others were willing to share their own stories. So I kind of had this idea that I wanted to share these other people's stories on a platform, on a website. And there's this account on Instagram called humans of New York. This guy goes around New York city and takes photos of individuals and shares a little bit about their life. And I just found that to be so cool. I think it's awesome when you can learn something so vulnerable about a stranger, it just connects you as a human being. So I wanted to take somewhat of that idea and inspiration and cater it towards mental health. So I started to ask people on my campus, if they'd be willing to have their photo taken by my friend who's a photographer, and then that they would be willing to share their story with me and have it published on this platform that was my website at the time, as well as on Instagram. So it felt like it was just naturally gaining this traction of more and more stories of people willing to be vulnerable and share. And so it stopped from just being my college, but to the Charleston community. Then it started to be other communities in South Carolina Then other cities wanted to share about their stories. So they were submitting their photo rather than having us take it for them. And then it became other countries. People were somehow finding this website. I'll never forget this guy from Indonesia was like, we don't talk about mental health in our country. And I'm so thankful there's an organization where I can share my story um, with with the world, so I started to think more and more of how to turn it into something that could help people even more, hopefully. And that was what I created was called Lost Got Found. So it's a nonprofit organization now. We still share stories on our website, and it still has the photos of everyone to read their stories and see how they reached out to get help. But we also educate in schools, and so there's a way that people now can donate to the organization, knowing that their money is going towards education about these topics.
0: So it sounds like all of that was moving along well, and you were finding a purpose and a journey, and then you had a
1: horrific experience again. Will you share with us then what happened? So the year after I graduated from college, I was living in Philadelphia, um, back home with my family, saving up money to move out to Los Angeles at some point. And I was out one night with a friend. Um, We had gone out to a bar And we had been drinking but someone unfortunately roofied my drink at the bar, and I was taken back to the college that that student went to school at and I was raped. And so, the next day waking up, I just felt like I had gone right back to square one and I felt like such in a dark place and I hadn't had those feelings in so long since high school. So I didn't really know what to do. I was feeling like I didn't want to reach out for help and I didn't want to tell my parents what had happened because I, again, felt this shame and burden to tell them. But what I realized was there were a lot of changes and growth from when I was 15 years old to the age of 23 when this happened was, I did go home that day. I told my parents immediately what happened, even though it was really difficult for me. We went to the hospital and got the rape kit done. And I immediately started in a support group and in um, individual therapy for the sexual assault. And so even though I felt those dark feelings again, like I had felt in high school, I felt like I had come a long way in terms of knowing that I needed to reach out for help and knowing that it would benefit me in the long run if I did so. So I am proud of myself for doing that because I think the journey would have been a lot more difficult taking it all on on my own. Um, So again, I was diagnosed with PTSD from that experience with Um, the nightmares that come with a sexual assault and the trauma. But it was even more difficult personally and professionally, because I didn't feel like I could then share with other people, it gets better, you're not alone, when I didn't really believe that anymore for myself. So I made a really difficult decision to take a step back from the nonprofit and to kind of just focus on my own mental health. They say that analogy with the airplanes is you have to put on your oxygen mask before you can help someone else. And it was really, really difficult for me because I really wanted to help people, but I knew I needed to get the help that I needed before I could do that for others. So I did take a step back from the nonprofit and on a professional level, that was also hard because I'd felt that traction and I felt like I now was plateauing because of it. But I think ultimately it was the best decision I could have made because I'm definitely in a much healthier place today than I was back then. And I'm able to cope with it in a more positive way um, because I took that time.
0: And now you are back with Lost Got Found, 100% of your time?
1: So not at this point, 100%. um, I feel like I found the balance of how I want to run the nonprofit and still work in a different company that's unrelated to mental health. I think it may continue just to stay this way forever, because I think what I've realized is mental health is a journey. And for me, I want to help everyone. And I take on a lot of responsibility to help others, but I can take that to the nth degree which cannot be healthy sometimes so for me personally I've realized I want to keep doing it on the side and keep helping and keep speaking at schools and universities but also at the same time doing something else and focusing my energy on something else so I can have that balance and and not get it to an unhealthy place again
0: well and it does sound as you say the balance that that searching for the balance knowing what's right for you and how to proceed in this world in the best and healthy way. Mm -hmm. So turning perhaps to just communities at large, I'm wondering too, you know, as you have said before, uh, one in four adults are diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder every year. It, It is a huge issue in this country. And I'm wondering just as you have talked to so many thousands of people, friends, family members, what is the way that family, and friends can best support those that they know are struggling or suffering in silence.
1: So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention shares ways to help and to support someone who's struggling with a mental illness or with suicidal thoughts. And the main thing is that you're just there to listen and to be supportive and non-judgmental. Some of my closest friends do not suffer with a mental illness or struggle with their mental health, but the reason that they're such a good support system to me is because they don't act like they have to understand everything I'm going through. So when I share what I'm struggling with, they don't have to say like, oh, I know exactly how you feel, but rather they're like, I hear you. I understand why you would feel that way. Can you tell me more about that? And they're just there as a support and they're listening and they're not judgmental about it all. And that's really the best thing you can do as a parent or as a family member or friend. You don't have to understand exactly what that person's going through, but more so being there and walk along that journey with them as they're figuring it out. And there's another um, myth about suicide, which is if you ask someone directly if they're thinking about suicide, people think that's gonna lead them to attempt suicide. But it's actually the opposite. If you directly say, Are you thinking about suicide? Are you contemplating suicide? It'll actually more so recognize the person will wanna reach out for help. And they'll say something like, Yeah, maybe I am, and I think I do need help. So don't ever be afraid if you're a support system to ask those difficult questions because for me personally in high school, I so desperately wanted my parents to know that I was struggling, but because I put on that front of like, oh, I'm okay. And my parents just thought I was a typical teenage girl wanting to be in her room all the time. They didn't know that it was as significant as it was with what was going on. So if I, if someone in my class or if someone at home had just said, are you okay? I think I would have broken down crying and said, no, I'm not okay and I really need help. But it's because I wasn't really asked those questions that I then felt like I was a burden to others and I kept it all inside.
0: It's a great insight. And I think as we think about this great talk that you've provided us with, there are some great strategies, whether you're suffering right now with what you believe is an isolation feeling or a sense of no one understanding or I can't fit in or for those who are observing someone like that. So to recap a bit, it sounds like if you're in a position to ask questions, do so, but be sure you're listening. And of course, a primary uh, message that you're delivering is that if you are suffering, reach out to others. Are there three or four other really good points that are, are critical for anyone listening today that is feeling isolated, lonely, fearful. What are those things that we need to reach out and say to them?
1: Well, the first thing I wanted to touch on um, before answering your question was, I think also if you're a support system to someone that's struggling, don't take on all of that on yourself as well. I think what was difficult for me in high school was I didn't want the help at, at first. And so the person has to want to get the help themselves for the support system to be able to help. Because a lot of times in my talks, I'll have students come up and say, I know my friend is struggling, but they're refusing to go seek out help. I don't know what to do. Or a parent will say, I've tried to put my child into therapy. They're not listening to it. They don't want the help. And you start to put the burden on yourself as the support system of, I'm trying all I can to help this person and they still don't want it. So um, it's a very hard pill to swallow to understand that The person has to want to get the help, but you can just continue to be there as a support system and to continue to say, I'm here for you while you continue on this journey, but you can't force someone into it. So they have to want it and don't put on that burden all on yourself. If you are the support system, first and foremost, I would say, and I know that you shared this therapy is number one, if you can afford therapy or you can find it through your insurance or free therapy, I think that is the ultimate part of recovering from a mental illness or dealing with it in a positive way. I would say joining different organizations or getting involved. There's all these different coping skills. Um, one category is physical um, and one is being more attentive and meditation. One's spiritual. There's different categories. And so each person's different. am I can't say exactly what would help every single person, but for me personally, my physical health really helps my mental health. And then finally, I feel like even if you're not reaching out for support for your mental health specifically, just reaching out in general, not isolating yourself. Um, And if you don't feel like you can share with your family members or friends what you're going through, there's all these different hotlines you can reach out to. After the sexual assault, I reached out to Rain. It's an organization that's 24-7 support and confidential. They're the ones that got me in contact with the hospital for the rape kit, and they got me in contact with my support group. So Even if you don't feel like there's anyone in your life specifically that can help you, there are always other individuals that are there to help.
0: Great. Well, we appreciate so much you taking time, Emily, out of your very busy schedule to share your really incredible journey and the journey you continue to stay on and the need for all of us to continue to talk about it your thoughts around how, whether you're sad or fearful or lonely or or struggling in some way that you're feeling left out, they're really life-changing for people who are listening. And we appreciate you and your work and your vulnerability and your nonprofit to help break the stigma of mental health discussion. So thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me, and and the way that I like to end all my talks, if you wouldn't mind if I could end my last statement with this, is so if there's anyone listening today and you are struggling with what I've gone through or the other individuals that have shared their stories have gone through, I just want you to know that you're not alone and that you do have a purpose. You're alive for a reason, and nothing would be the same if you didn't exist. Um, It's not weak to ask for help. It takes strength to realize that you need help, and so I hope that you'll do that if you're listening today.
0: Thank you, thank you so much, Emily. And to our listeners, if you or anyone you know needs to talk to someone right now, you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, where there is 24-hour support. Talking About It is a community production from New Canaan, Connecticut, created by the New Canaan Abuse Prevention Partnership, Dee Dee Bartlett founder, and dedicated to preventing abuse and promoting healthy relationships. Hosted by Cindy Graziano and produced by Robert Doran, the series is supported by the New Canaan Community Foundation and more than 40 organizations in the New Canaan area. If you or someone you suspect is in crisis, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or the suicide prevention hotline at 1-800-273-8255. To learn more about the subject discussed today and resources on all our podcasts, visit our website at talkingaboutit.org. The series will be broadcast on YouTube, talkingaboutit.org, major podcasts such as Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts and on New Canaan Public Access Channel 79. We'll be back next month with a new episode of Talking About It.